there's a there's an announcement that there's Braille Uno now. So what? Braille Uno, the, the card game Uno. Really? Yeah. So it's Braille Uno now. I hate that game. <laughs> I, don't think I've, I don't think I've ever played it. <laughs> this is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Banter, banter. Uh, <laughs> What was that, Ron? That was, that was an extra banter. That was the echo. Yeah, really? Yeah, that's enthusiasm there, man. <laughs> this recording remotely is, is a little bit of a challenge when we can't take like visual cues from each other. That's more fun you this wait, way. Well, yeah, Ryan, Ryan doesn't care. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. I you had, and your visual cues. I haven't had visual cues in 24 years. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, where are we? We Well, we're not together. Obviously, nope. we are. No, we're avoiding the plague carrier. That's right. Yes, Mr. Flurry is down with uh, a bug. It sounds like. Yeah, I'm not down yet. Just a bit of the sniffles and itchy throat. Well, listen, we appreciate you giving us the heads up. Well, you know, I, I thought about it. I was like, well, should I bring? No, let's be nice. <laughs> <laughs> we, could, we could always come with HEPA masks on or something. You know? That's true. <laughs> Keep a spare set around. Yeah. Our dungeon is a, a highly enclosed space. In the <laughs> That's area. right. The secret lair. I feel like so, germs would travel real well down there. Yeah. Well, now you now you can also cook them because there's a fireplace. That's right. Oh yeah. So wait, really? Wait, is that what you guys were doing yesterday? You're installing a fireplace in the guitar dungeon? Yeah, a friend of mine was giving away an electric fireplace, so it's electric fireplace that also has some vents on it so it puts out heat and oh no way yeah so the basement gets fairly cool in the winter time because there's only one air duct in the ceiling for the whole basement here so i thought well let's get ourselves an electric fireplace and we can supplement the heat with with it so well that means during the halloween show we can have like a fire going yep and... we can have the google google home playing crackling cool. fire sounds or I love it. Yep. Cool. We can have it playing spooky music, whatever we want. Excellent. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm still I'm I'm working on some ideas. Excellent. Uh, still, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you a little bit later about it. But, Perfect. Uh, yeah, I did a little bit of brainstorming last night. You and your cat. Terrible ideas, but one of the, one of these will one of these will work. Good. Uh, hey Ryan. Rob. Uh, what are we doing today? Today we are talking with Elizabeth Specht and Jean Morton from the Cerebral Palsy Association of British Columbia. Very cool. Yeah, it's one of those I've had on the list for a while to get on the show because I don't know about you guys, but I don't even know what cerebral palsy is and what causes it. So I was interested to, to get somebody on. Yeah, yeah, I think this will be excellent. And I do believe if I'm not mistaken, that uh, World CP Day is coming up next week. It is indeed, on October 6th. Yeah, so uh, good timing, sir. Mm -hmm. Look at you. Plans coming together. Uh, <laughs> excellent. All right, let's talk about Alexa, shall we? 
Alrighty. Uh, no, now, not Alexis. No, we were just not Alexis, but Alexa. Okay, no, you're gonna trigger it every time you say the A word. Oh, get over it. A. <laughs> Deal with it. Uh, <laughs> yes. Did you hear about this new feature that um, they unveiled last week? Yeah, for their new Amazon Echo Show device called Show and Tell. All right. Well, tell us a little bit about it, Ryan. What can it do? Well, from my understanding, if you are blind or visually impaired, you can point an object like a can at it, and it will tell you what that object is. So this is pretty cool, although I'm skeptical on how well that could possibly work. Well, I'm not, because, you know, think of Amazon's database. They own Whole Foods. So, you know, the object recognition, object recognition in and of itself has been around for Long, 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 long time. That's true. So this is nothing new. Uh, well, let's let's take a little dig into the... Uh... So last week, they unveiled a new show-and-tell feature that allows users to hold an item in front of an Echo Show and ask, what am I holding? Using computer vision and machine learning for object recognition, the device will respond with its best guess. So again, so this is that machine learning that we've been hearing about for you know two years now um, at work, and clearly it's gotten to the point where they it's good enough where they feel pretty comfortable in baking it right into the uh, the show. Now the show, Ryan, what do you know about the this this particular device? Is it obviously it is it has a screen and a and a camera? Yeah, I believe this one is an eight inch screen. Uh, I think the previous generation was a 5-inch, but yeah, this is 8-inch, I believe, and has the camera, and that's about all I know about it. You know, so think of your Echo Dot, uh, but with a screen on it. This is really interesting because I feel like we just talked last week about uh, Apple and all the new, the new accessibility features um, in iOS 13. Boo. You know, Amazon had... What do you mean, boo? Well, last week they released iOS 13. A couple days later, 13.1. A couple days later, 13.11. And yesterday, 13.2. Okay. So they're becoming the Microsoft of the... Oh, no. When, I it, com think, when it comes to quality believe. control, Apple has lost it on this update. Really? They've never done this before. Well, listen, I guess it's going around. I mean, because, <laughs> listen, uh, you, the, last, the last two years has not been good for Microsoft in that sense either. But, but I mean, and I can't believe I'm the one jumping to Apple's defense. <laughs> but, I mean, this is also, like, this is a brand spanking new operating system. Yeah. So it's going to be, of course, they're going to have these incremental updates being rolled out uh, in, the, in the weeks that follow because... You know, it's it's hard to to squash every single bug. I'm sure before oh, they sure. release. So, yeah. uh, you know, I'll I'll give Apple a little bit of slack on that one. A little bit of slack. A little bit of slack. All right. So I I bet you it wasn't you know bricking anybody's uh, iPhone. So unlike wind that that Windows update that they released, where it's like, oh yeah, actually. Well, you saw that's rolled out to everybody now. Eh? It's general availability now. To what is? 1903, Windows 10, 1903. Oh, don't even... Oh. And the next one's coming out soon. Right. 19H2. Woohoo! You're such a nerd, Ryan. <laughs> hey, it pays the bills. Yeah. Uh, really? I got to get on that thing. Uh, hey, so... Um, so back to Amazon. Yeah, back to Amazon. So, well, yeah, this is, so, <laughs> this is interesting because I feel like it's google's turn now like show us what you got google let's let's 
give us give us something here because it seems like all three of them are sort of rolling out different new accessibility features with the different devices and then you know they all respond to each other by incorporating the other other guys accessibility feature into theirs and you know just it just makes accessibility on all these different platforms better and better so I'm, i'm always excited to see new stuff coming out well, I think Amazon released, I think, 15 or 20 new products on, in this announcement last week. And we won't, I don't think we'll see anything from Google till I.O. next year. Yeah, most likely. But, I mean, you know that they're working on it. Yeah, you know, they, sure. they, these guys all respond to each other. Yeah. So, um, you know, when Amazon rolls this stuff out, uh, you know, Google is certainly behind the scenes yeah. uh, looking at that. And, and you know, they, they know that they need to... Uh, respond in kind so and all that means is that all that competition it means it's it's makes it better for the consumer so but that's pretty cool um are you do you ever plan on getting one of those uh shows ryan no you would never get anything with a screen no i don't need to with a screen there's an already enough creepiness factor of it always listening to you now that it's gonna be watching you so no but it also leads me to believe that there's there's got to be some apps that are kind of, like if they have this machine learning that good that the show can do this there's there's got to be apps either already here or on the horizon that that would allow you to to do the same thing using well there are you know google's got their lookout app they're see, seeing ai app you know so there is stuff that'll you know do object recognition already on your smartphone and that's just going to get better and better using ai yep hmm. interesting uh, all right. Hey, I have one other thing to talk a little bit about. This, this is the big week um, of the the Domino's um, lawsuit. Yeah, going to the Supreme Court. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this about is, the in fact... the accessibility of their website. That's mm-hmm. right. Uh, so there's a lot of eyes on this um, this week. Um, so for anybody who is listening who may be not familiar with what we're talking about, uh, there's been a, a lawsuit in the works for a few years now uh, of a guy that has been suing Domino's for the fact that their app and their website isn't fully accessible. And uh, it went to the courts and the courts ruled in his favor. And now Domino's is, has taken the next step and is appealing to the Supreme Court to look at the case. Their, their argument is that the uh, ADA in the States only applies to physical access right. of right. locations, doesn't have anything to do with websites. Right. That's right. And Domino's isn't saying it's a, you know that it's a financial thing. It sounds like they're more than willing to do it if it falls on that side. But like well, they says, to. they're trying to clarify what that ADA specifies. Yeah, so they would rather spend hundreds of yeah, thousands right. of dollars <laughs> on <laughs> lawyers than they would to just simply yeah. make their stuff accessible. Right. The, the yeah. concern, Which I, I think still is a dick move, and I think is. everybody should boycott Domino's. It is. Yeah. Well, it absolutely is. Um, and this is why there's a lot of eyes on it, and this is why it's it's so important. Well, I've um, said accessibility back decades. If websites are web accessibility, aren't certainly. ADA, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be real interesting to see where the Supreme Court lands on this. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a little bit shocking. This isn't even a conspiracy theory. This is just the fact that there are a lot of companies that are that are watching this that are fully behind Domino's, that mm-hmm. are supporting Domino's in this sense, because this can mean the difference to really impacting the bottom line of of a lot of companies if they aren't required. Um, 
to to build in accessibility into their their um, online offerings. I don't see how that's true at all. Uh, it it is honestly minimal effort to make a website accessible. You just have to follow some standards. They talk about an, an estimate of what it would cost Domino's to actually make their everything accessible, and it was like something like thirty eight thousand dollars. And then they listed like you know how many billions that Domino's made. Like honestly, it's it's ridiculous. It's it's not a cost thing. I mean, no, they make it does baffle week. me. Yeah. It it even baffles me on a business level on why Domino's did this because you're absolutely right. They've spent much more than that fighting this mm -hmm. and continuing to fight it. Um, so and it can't they, be. It are can't they trying be to argue that it's a moral issue? I don't know. No. I I think that I think that there's a consortium of businesses out there that it was like, okay, Domino's, like you go, you go fight this battle. We'll support you. Like we're be kind of behind you in the shadows because if, again, it's going to set precedent. If, if Domino's, if this gets overturned in Domino's favor, that has a, an impact on a lot of other companies as well because they can go, okay, well we can do the bare minimum uh, accessibility wise um, online and we, we don't have to worry about, about making um, our, our websites and our apps compliant. I mean, you know, it makes no sense to me because... There's a simple solution. A very simple solution. What's that? If you find a website that's not accessible, screw them. Go to, web, go to companies that are. You know, I don't know how many times I've gone to websites that, you know, and I'm fairly tech savvy, I like to think, that, you know, there may be unlabeled buttons or graphics or, you know, a play pause button's not labeled properly depending on what it is I'm looking for, I will go elsewhere. You know, they're not, for example, Domino's isn't the only pizza chain in town. So give somebody else your business who's going to be there for you. Yeah, yeah well. Prefer I, preferably one that makes better pizza. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, listen, I mean, it's never made sense to me from a business point of view. No, and that's doesn't. where, you know, I, I guess it's it's these old school guys that don't, they just don't think that, People who are visually impaired are going to buy pizza. Like it, it's ridiculous to me to front of business cases. Why are you shutting out an entire demographic for say a thirty-eight thousand dollar investment? Um, you're just going to shut out an entire demographic because you just think, ah, yeah, they're not going to use the service anyways. Like that's that's ludicrous. Well, on the downside too, even if this falls on Domino's side, this is going to be in appeals for a long time. Nobody's just going to roll over and give up on this. NFBs, no, ACBs, no, they're going to fight Supreme this. Court. You go to the Supreme Court, that's done. You're yeah. done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's no appeal, nothing? No. No. Not yeah. To, not to the Supreme yeah, you Court. Yeah, you can't go any higher than that. Yeah. Right? The appellate court, you know, sided, you know, with the individual. So, you know, Domino's is going there to try to get that. Hmm. This is their last ditch effort, right? right. Yeah, the only option okay. this guy has, if the Supreme Court rules against it, is to go back to Congress and get the law changed. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, honestly, if there's that much ambiguity, uh, you know, in the ADA, yeah, fix it Then fix it. Yeah. Like it's, it's shocking to me that, that we're still fighting over web accessibility, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in 2019, um, you know, the, the article makes such a good point that, you know, now more than ever, you know, apps and, and websites you, you you almost can't get away from needing to use them in some capacity. Yeah. So it's ridiculous that you're gonna you're gonna shut um, people with disabilities out of those by not making them accessible. I, I mean, we just need those to be accessible now more than ever. 
I mean, it was one thing in 2001 when we were fighting this, you know, big well, deal, you know, not, well, it was still a big deal, but I just mean like, you know, you didn't do all your banking necessarily all through, you know, online. And, mm-hmm. and these days there are literally places that are just like, no, you have to go through an app or you have to go through our website in order to, you know, change your account or do whatever. Um, so yeah, this needs, this needs to be addressed and, well, the uh, other thing we've talked about a little bit, you know, because this isn't the first time we've talked about this story, is this gentleman's experience using the app or the website. You know, I haven't looked at the app or the website, but what wasn't accessible? Like, that's never been defined. All we've heard is it wasn't accessible. So why couldn't he access the app? Why couldn't he access the website? What were the problems with it? That's never been released. Well, it's ne- I, Get him on the show. Yeah, I might have to. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure the information is out there. It's just that you know, it's just that the news outlets, you know, they don't talk about that. Oh, they don't, sure. they don't dig deep enough right. into it because most people don't even know what a screen reader is, right? Um, let alone what about it, you know, what part of the website the screen reader was un- unable to access. So. Right, but that's what I'm saying. Like we've seen nothing from the NFB, which I'm sure they're all over this. Same with ACB. I'm sure they're all over this. Like this guy isn't on his own. I'm sure these blindness organizations are all over this. Well, yeah. I mean, right now it's you know, again, it's just a waiting game. So mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll. Uh, well, we should know. We should we'll be, know soon. I think isn't we, it going we should. before them pretty quick. I I think it's today it actually. Today? So you know, we can probably give people an update next week. Um, but you know, again, you know, I would say that you know, keep your eye on the news and, and see how this lands because um, precedent is is a big deal, and this could really impact. Um, web accessibility going forward. Hey Steve, why don't you tell the fine folks about Canadian Assistive Technology? Well, Canadian Assistive Technology is a Canadian-based distributor of, guess what, assistive technology. I would not have guessed that. Uh, really? Oh, i got to work something better into the name then. <laughs> um, and uh, we do uh, all kinds of low vision and blindness aids, as well as all kinds of physical access aids and uh, accessible furniture, you name it. Visit our website at www.canastech.com. Rick, let me ask you about this. Chaos Technical Services. Chaos Technical Services. Don't sound so excited about it. (laughs) (laughs) Woo! (laughs) Speaking of repairs. We are the sister company to Canas Tech. Um, We do the repairs on uh, low vision devices, uh, uh, reading machines uh, for libraries, braille printers, and pretty well anything in between. We can be found at uh, www.chaostechnicalservices.com. Joining us now are Elizabeth Specht and Jean Morton from the Cerebral Palsy Association of British Columbia. Thank you uh, again for, for taking some time out to talk to us a, a little bit about uh, the organization. So why don't we just start with that and um, give us a little bit of a snapshot of uh, of the organization itself, uh, what you guys do and, and sort of what your the mission statement is. A very um, traditional, you know, historical nonprofit organization, you know, mid-50s, a uh, group of parents with a medical profession, group of parents with children with CP, um, realized there needed to be um, a convening of the medical profession and families to start talking about um, cerebral palsy, how could it be best be advocated for uh, with a single provincial voice, et cetera, rather than um, 
um, you know, in silos all over the province. So really since mid fifties, this organization has been going, it's, it's been going through a, um, an up and a down journey because as the political platform changes, um, funding changes as well, yet the organization has always seen its way through staying, um, staying focused on being a voice for a resource for and a support for those with cerebral palsy, whether you're a family with children, whether you're a, a youth, whether you're a, an adult, or you know now we're seeing our first sort of grouping of the older adult out in the community with cerebral palsy. So we're not we are a provincial organization. We we are that resource center so that if you you know receive a diagnosis or um, information, we're the place that you can call and somebody with a lived with lived experience will answer the phone um, to help you navigate the journey of you know where is some help available, what support is available, who do I talk to, what programs may we have that are applicable um, for the particular person calling. So we are that resource. We're also a center that um, provides assistance to those with cerebral palsy. And while we're not the government funding, we're the community support to that. Because if you are diagnosed with cerebral palsy, you qualify for some uh, government funding, disability assistance. But through our organization, um, cerebral palsy is a very, very expensive disability. A lot of people don't understand that or don't understand cerebral palsy, period. But there is so much that is needed by way of um, adapted equipment, um, be it for communicating, uh, for mobility. So we raise funds to be able to provide grants out um, for assistance. We also raise funds to provide um, bursaries for the post-secondary student to attend uh, post-secondary institutions and pursue their education. And we also provide camperships uh, in the summertime that um, allow kids and adults to attend one of several accessible camps that accommodate individuals with cerebral palsy. Having said all that, we our, our tagline is you know a life creating a life without limits and doing everything that we can to provide that life without limits for those with cerebral palsy or other disabilities. And we also run our own programs and services. We have a, a youth support group. At times, we have a seniors uh, tea and tango or tea and crumpets group. Uh, we have adapted dance programs. We have adapted yoga programs. So much of it, though, is depending is dependent on funding, of course, like like any nonprofit organization. We're not an organization that has predictable funding, you know, a, a one stream source. So, while we don't like to change up what we do, sometimes we have to lessen what we do. But our goal is to continue to increase and expand as much as feasible throughout the province, because there's people with CB all around the province, not just in the Lower Mainland. Yeah, we're we're trying to help people with cerebral palsy find full participation in their community. Um, Maybe a little bit about CP itself. Um, A lot of people think of it as as a disease, which it is not. 
Uh, cerebral palsy is the result of a one-time brain injury uh, suffered around the time of birth. So that once that injury happens, it doesn't change. Um, it's not progressive, but its effects can change over the lifetime. And like any, you know, we people tend to be familiar with an acquired brain injury with CP. Um, the effects can be just as varied from very mild, like a, a weakness in one side, to very severe, um, causing severe mobility, speech language difficulties, um, you know, right across the spectrum. So um, one person's CP is not necessarily another. Um, with the programs we're offering, we're finding our membership is gravitating more and more to peer support. Um, the people want to uh, have contact with others who have a similar lived experience with CP. Um, they seem to be finding that to be the most helpful. And just to cover a couple of other facts, um, it's the most common physical disability in childhood. Um, globally, although we're more so talking about, um, well, World CP Day is coming up, but globally, globally there's over 17 million people uh, with cerebral palsy. In BC, it's 10,000. Um, one in two people with CP live in chronic pain. One in three people cannot walk. One in five cannot talk. Uh, one in ten have a severe vision impairment. Um, so, as as Jean said, there, there's there's varying degrees. Um, and of all children with CP, sixty percent are born at term. So it, it you know it kind of it sounds like you you guys sort of have have a big challenge because um, really, you know, you're you're supporting people through you know a variety of different. Um, age ranges. Um, does does that does that make it a challenge? I mean, because it's you know obviously you know you're you're going to deal a lot with youth, but it, but it sounds like you've also got an aging um, population as well that you're you're trying to support. So does it get does it get kind of hard to to spread all those resources around? It does, and that's a very good point that you picked up on. And there are many organizations, um, you know, in the Lower Mainland throughout the province. Um, you know, the Child Development Center, Sunny Hill Hospital, you know, that we partner with, we can't do everything. And, and no, nor are we the medical support. But in partnership with those organizations, we can be the community support. And you, you are right that, you know, at, there, there is an increased demand for the, the aging. And by that, I mean, teens, you know, young adults, adults and and seniors and as Jean said this just sincere um, desire to be supported and be connected with with others you know with CP in their in their age groups or as families so we're seeing that as a real opportunity um, and then the medical professions come to us for we have a lot of resources etc and so they they point you know, they direct individuals or families to us to pursue those resources or find out where some other resources can be. But there are a lot of um, uh, young child serving organizations in this province as well. 
Yeah, a big gap that what seems to hit everyone hard are the traditional transition points in life. So a very difficult time is reaching the age of majority. So a person who has had supports throughout childhood loses those supports and has to try to cobble together, they and their family at this point usually, um, cobble together enough resources to help keep them in the community. And then as aging hits, and with cerebral palsy, issues of aging can hit at pretty much any time in life. Like often the issues of aging hit earlier than they do within the general population. But we are seeing more and more uh, people with CP becoming true seniors. And um, as they really are the first cohort, I mean, when these people were born, they were given a life expectancy of a maximum of 35 years. So one of the big issues around that is, of course, emotional. What does it mean that I've outlived my life expectancy? Also, these families really never expected for the children with CP to outlive their parents. So that puts another set of pressures on the family. And this this is all brand new. If you look at the Canadian census, um, for people with CP over 65, it reports a question mark. Now, in, in terms of, of uh, the weight of some of the programs, though, that, that you guys offer, do you, do you find that certain age ranges, you know, it just pays to put the emphasis on it? So, for example, you know, say youth, um, just because that's, that's where the numbers are, or but that's also where um, you can kind of do the most good in terms of building sense of community or empowerment or, um, you know, anything else that you can sort of contribute? I think the greatest, most concentrated need is the transition from children's services into adulthood. Um, in terms of the incidence and prevalence of CP, it's remained constant. So we have, you know, a fairly demographic, steady client base. Many disabilities are waning. Um, but CP is associated with low birth rate, uh, preterm birth, and multiple births. So the prevalence of IV, um, in vitro fertilization, and um, the survival rate of very young preemies has um, caused our numbers to remain fairly consistent. But the, I think the one place that hits everybody sort of simultaneously um, is the fact that all of the supports and funding and resources that they've received coming through school and at the age of 19, but their physical condition hasn't changed. Um, so, and there is no easy step into adults. For example, there are no, there's no medical specialty for adults of doctors who deal with CP. You will find children specialists who deal with CP, but not adults, because historically it's been considered a disorder of childhood, and quite honestly, that people didn't survive far into adulthood. It sounds like there's a lot of, um, a lot of um, pressure put on families to, to provide supports for for their their children with CP, um, what what is there when families aren't able to provide those supports? Like what what what's out there that that 
they can draw on to to get more support for themselves. Oh, <laughs> good question. Yeah, there's a combination of things because you know there's there's a limit of what is provided for government support, um, and you know I hear of, and, and again we can provide some. Some other organizations can provide some. It is in my time learning and meeting the families around the province. It is an incredible effort um, on the parents' part or an individual's part to try to trace down where the resources are, if there are any that are applicable for them. And it's a very complica complicated, even ours, you know, to apply for a camping bursary, um, complicated bureaucratic system to access resources that are so desperately needed um, with these families. And that's part of where we start to see an association of poverty with disability. Um, it, costs more than a million dollars to raise a child with cerebral palsy and um, very often at least one parent is going to be limited in their labor force participation because of the care needs of that child. Um, I mean that's almost to be expected and then you add the costs for therapy and assistive equipment, um, consider the cost of a wheelchair equipped van you know, just to, for basic transportation. Um, there, uh, for children, there are supports at home through the at-home program um, that provide um, therapy and some respite support for the parents. Um, but again, you know, it never seems to be quite sufficient. I know of many families that have resorted to, you know, running their own GoFundMe campaigns um, or, you know, there's a variety of other them, uh, other them just, you know, to support, the, to support their children and their, and their family life. Right. Um, yes. And have to turn to their community at large for help. Yeah. You know. So one of the things we're doing, and I don't know if, um, one of the points that you were going to get to with us is, you know, World CP Day is coming up. And, you know, a, a big part of our role right now, and we're so appreciative that you've asked us to do this, is raising the awareness, raising the knowledge level and the awareness in this province about CP and the needs and the requirements and the, the family stories, et cetera. And as you raise the awareness and start telling the story, you start to be able to raise some resources as well. Um, it's not easy and it doesn't happen overnight. And we're also hoping that both through provincial and federal government that we may be able to advocate for some more predictable funding for our organization to be able to support families, but also on behalf of families with cerebral palsy. So we have a variety of things coming up over the next month. World CP Day is October the 6th, um, and we're calling it a Light It Up Green campaign, and you're going to start seeing um, the, mo you know, the most significant monuments in the province are going to be lit up green on October the 6th, although BC Place will be October the 3rd. We couldn't get the 6th. Uh, we even have the BC legislature lighting up green. 
Um, we've got a, a couple of interviews like this, a radio interview. We've got some time on global TV because the awareness is so critical in getting the knowledge out there. And we're going to launch our first online campaign. I mean, this organization has, you know, raised funds the hard way. You know, the web, the grants become available. You ask a question, how do you determine which programs to do? Well, sometimes it's determined by which grant is available. Um, and it's a hard way to run an organization. So we're going to attempt to streamline some fundraising and call it the Light It Up Green campaign. And, and there's no better time to launch that than during World CP Day. Well, and I, I'm going to jump in here for a second, and we have an election coming up. Who should we vote for? Who's going to give it? Who's going to give us more funding? <laughs> Jean. <laughs> well, <laughs> we, I, I think it, what I would prefer is to say, can you please be asking the candidate? who is going to give more. Because if we as an organization ask them, we'll get one answer. But if all 10,000 of our members, the families, and the other people who are aware are asking that of our politicians, that's where we would really hope to see real dollars happen. And that's another piece of our work, because we're really trying to engage our members to be the voice so that um, you know they are speaking out, and just like Jean said, and of course, as a nonprofit organization, we have to be very, very careful on any political stance. Um, you know, we, we work with whoever is in, and and whoever is in, we work with trying to you know advocate and try to secure that funding for a very, very critical and important need in our province, and one that is mostly misunderstood. As well, I mean, we're, when we're talking about the governing bodies, we're not only talking about who's going to give us money, but we're also looking for policies, procedures, and consultation with right. our community. The new um, Accessibility Act. Yeah. Um, right now, we have a member who is unable to speak. She is um, fully, uh, she has a degree. She uses a synthetic voice. She is needing medical care and cannot get the uh, health authorities to communicate with her directly through her needed and preferred method of communication, email. Um, so there's a lot of that kind of stuff. There's a question of just the general public seeing somebody walking down the street with an unsteady gait and perhaps slurred speech, and they will typically assume um, a substance impairment rather than something like cerebral palsy. So, um, you know, there's quite a plethora of needs that we have. Yeah, and I think, too, you know, with a, a bit of a push on British Columbia adopting some sort of Accessibility Act, as well as the Accessible yes. Canada Act, that's only going to help everybody in all the disability arenas. I agree. I yes, and consultation is everything. Um, the recent business in Vancouver with the uh, plastics reduction, um, they failed initially to consult with the community to understand that a plastic bendy straw can be a matter of life and death for some people with disabilities. So it took quite a bit to uh, get them to recognize this. But in the meantime, 
people with disabilities were being trolled for their need for these plastic straws. So, you know, the the round table, um, the biggest, I guess, the biggest lesson from that is the need to consult and to consult thoroughly through the disability community. So we're not particularly speaking well for people with visual impairment. So we've got to have a good broad representation if we're to have true accessibility. Absolutely. What, what's the state of housing for for adults if they if they need um, supported housing? What what's out there these days? Because I I have a friend who has CP, and you know he's he's in he's in socialized housing right now, but it it it, it seems to be an utterly inappropriate um, setup for him. You know the the walls all have holes in them now because he's driven his power chair into them on on numerous occasions. He can't get any support for getting anything up off the floor. So anything that hits the floor pretty much stays there. Um, initially, when he went into the place, it was carpeted, and his chair chewed the heck out of the carpet, and it's never been replaced. It's just all torn up. Um, you know, it's not a it's not a very good living situation for him. But there doesn't appear to be anything better out there, is there? Well, when you raise the question of housing, I was about to ask, is that a rhetorical question? Because, um, you know, everyone is struggling with housing, especially in the lower mainland. And when everyone is struggling, you can count on the disability community being even further stretched. And you're absolutely correct. It it is... um, Appropriate housing is in very much short supply. And um, you've also alluded to another point in terms of the degree of assistance people can get within their homes. You say you can't pick something up off of the floor. Um, And that, that has to do with the fact that there really is no adequate um, supports with housework for people who have a disability. Um, there's a very complicated roundabout through the choices for supports and independent living, and that's kind of a long and detailed um, process. But um, a lot of people actually find themselves in risk just being unable to maintain their housing adequately because of those lack of supports. So, yeah, it's a huge problem in every aspect. But I would encourage a friend to contact us in regard to an assisted device for perhaps being able to access things that are on the floor. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's funny. You know, we, we talk to a lot of, a lot of uh, advocacy agencies, and, you know, what we, we're always hearing is that that, that educational component, um, you know, educating the, the general public, about any given disability is is so difficult and just it needs to be done so badly but it's, it's just really difficult to penetrate um, the general public's psyche about it because disability is one of one of those things that people generally don't want to think about until it actually affects them well i think we're going to start seeing a lot more um, because of the two things you alluded to you know the the bc accessibility and the the new federal act i think we're just going to see a lot more information a lot more uh, consultation a lot more awareness building because 
pop, the demographic and the population of those with disabilities is going to grow as well, <laughs> right? So I, I think we're going to just start seeing more and more of this. And, you know, in our early conversations with potential funders or, you know, corporate, I think there's a realization that the funding stream needs to be um, re-looked at as well. I'm a big believer in collaboration and coordination, and I think that's part of it too. I mean, the more that our voices can be combined, I think the stronger the message out and the awareness building can be. Um, but that's often easier said than done because everybody's just trying to survive, basically. Yes, and accessibility and inc inclusion will only beget increasing accessibility and inclusion. Really, right. the best answer is not Elizabeth and I lecturing the public about the needs of folks with disability. It's getting to know somebody who's living with a disability, uh, knowing their story, and then you'll get to understand the person is a person, not as other, and not as something that, oh, I would dread just as a person and that is ultimately what's going to be our best bet that yeah. kind of networking speaking of networking um i was going to ask um so you you mentioned that um you're having a lot of success um in terms of some of the sort of the peer um peer networking aspects of some of your programs um could you could you sort of expand a little bit on that and like what kind of what kind of peer programs do you have and and have you has it has things like social media um really helped your space in those sense mm -hmm. most definitely um you know we run a youth group and i and i i sort of with my hands here i'm saying youth sort of within brackets because what i love about it is anybody comes Right. And we'd, we'd never turn anybody away. So they're sort of all ages and they come and it's either just, a, you know, the other day we just had a picnic when the weather was still really good. Or normally there's a speaker who comes in, you know, we had somebody come in from Neil Squire Foundation Society, you know, showing some adapted um things that can be made in their labs there to help people. Just fascinating, fascinating information. So, you know, it can be educational, but it's, all, it's got a real social component to it. Um, and one of the things that we're, we're going to start doing, and again, launching in this month of World CP Day, is just a regular members gathering that is is just an opportunity to, for families or individuals to come together um, for kids, we'll have a little bit of entertainment for, you know, we'll have food provided, hopefully through sponsorships. Um, just a chance to peer-to-peer, -to, -peer, to network with each other. And then on our bigger goal is to take that to the various regions in the province and do the same thing, sort of replicate what we have in the Lower Mainland, but also in the Okanagan, the Kootenays, up north on the island, because our members, you know, the, the 10,000 people with CP, they're not all in the Lower Mainland. <laughs> so no. that peer support um, is really critical. And if we can't get on the road, if you will, we do see social media through our Facebook chats, through our, um, obviously, you know, just information being shared, but potentially developing some virtual programs that, you know, maybe we can't get yoga in Kelowna, but maybe we can get adapted yoga virtually for them to do in their own home. Want to come together. And with the peer support, um, 
one of our first programs was uh, Dance Without Limits, um, a movement program for children with cerebral palsy. Well, when the kids were having their dance class, the parents were all meeting and greeting. And we discovered that they became their own informal group of support. So they were forming play dates outside of the class. They were conferring with each other and looking forward every week to get together and say, well, how did you handle this? Where did you find that? And um, it just was a completely organic support group because these people with similar lived experience were together each week, sort of same bat time, same bat channel. And it, um, the supports just grew organically. Yeah, it's got to be great to see when that, that community starts to pull together. Yes, I mean, you can't create a community. All you can do is set the occasion and give people the opportunity, and then it'll grow. Yeah, I'm very excited. I, you know, I'm, I'm newer, six months into this position. I'm not new into the social service or nonprofit world, and so, yeah, I've learned a lot. But the, one of the first things we're doing in October is the first ever just members gathering. And, you know, a couple of people said to me, you know, I don't think many people are going to come. And we had our AGM the other night, and they're like, oh, well, thanks for doing this. We can't wait. Thanks for doing something that provides something for my kids to do and me to just sit there and chat, chat with my, you know, the other mom over there. So I just see this. I don't care if two people came at first. We're just going to keep at it and keep growing it and keep providing support for people that need it. But we're going to see 30-plus people at this first gathering, and that's just a, wow, let's try it and see if it works, right? And that needs to happen in the various regions around the province. People are very isolated. Yeah, and I think isolation really is the biggest bugbear with disability. I mean, the um, this, uh, it's a social determinant of as many ills as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day or morbid obesity. So. Really? Wow, that's, yes. that's a large impact. It is. It is, and it's very, very prevalent, um, especially when you have um, mobility issues, but also uh, depression, uh, you know, a lot of barriers to participation. And then you have, oh, you know, I... Um one of my earliest conversations interviewing a parent who has a son with CP, she says, do you realize how difficult it is? As soon as it rains, we really can't go out. Um, if we didn't get sponsored for our um, $75,000, you know, converted vehicle, we couldn't go on the roads or take a for anything. As soon as an elevator's down at the Canalide station, which it is every day lately, <laughs> they can't use transit. Um, just the challenges, right? And accessible restaurants. We've just put up a list on our website. You know, they can't wait in line, you know, for or just can't go sit up at the bar um, waiting for their table. It's, you know, it's there's a lot there that we don't think about until you really get to know somebody with lived experience. Uh, just buses who... Because they're packed, leave a person in a wheelchair at the bus stop and keep going in the snow. That's the story we hear commonly. Yeah. Are there other um, like organizations in other provinces? And do you guys ever sort of work with them or, or collaborate at all? 
Yes. Um, in fact, there's just a newly revived um, CP Canada network, and it received a federal government grant to determine um, if we needed a uh, sort of a national structure to this all and be some sort of national campaign, fundraising campaign. I mean, so many other groups have those. Um, which I would be fully in support of, that there is something that is, you know, a model that can be brought into each community. There's also, in varying degrees, other provincial organizations. Um, Alberta is one of the larger ones. Um, and then in some of the provinces, they're volunteer-led or they're just trying to get going again. Um, I, I just think, you know, for my short term, I just feel like there's, uh, a renewed um, desire, if you will, or a renewed call for putting CP out there in the forefront. Um, it's not a disability that has received enough attention or support. And do you, why, why do you think that is? Do you think it's just because it's so poorly understood? I think there's a lot of a lot of things, and it, it depends who you talk to and the interpretation. You know, um, is ten thousand people enough people to really be concerned about versus five hundred thousand people with another condition? Um, have the voices been loud enough? Um, yeah, just misunderstood what's actually needed. So I think there just needs to be an incredible. Uh, strategic effort on awareness building and that's not just you know by our organization that's by mobilizing the, the the members in our province you know as well to speak about cerebral palsy yeah um other other conditions have um you know through the um supreme court have required funding be made available, so you get a concentration of funding that pulls away. You know that pulls away. It's a limited resource um, situation, so you lose out on that. Now, cerebral palsy and autism are very often comorbid conditions, and it just really depends on which is presented first, what diagnosis a person carries. But um, the um, MS Ice Cube Challenge, if you remember, that uh, taunted me because we have similar numbers. Um, and that summer, it was gaining so much attention. Celebrities, politicians were all taking the Ice Cube Challenge. But MS is something that, or ALS, I guess it was, wasn't it? I may have the wrong one. I'm sorry. Yes, ALS. Well, ALS is something that most walking adults fear. Most of, people aren't really aware of cerebral palsy unless they are planning their family, and then it may not be their first consideration either. You know, so just uh, what is the likelihood of this affecting me is a question that affects all of this. So, so I want to just talk real quick again uh, a little bit about about your funding. So, there are various grants available. So I'll go back to saying we have no predictable funding, meaning each year we know that X is coming from this source. So it's a bit of a puzzle every year, which is a hard way to run an organization, but many businesses do it that way as well. So um, we are eligible to apply for grants. We are eligible to apply through some foundations. Um, 
We, at times, have been successful in getting um, gaming funds from the province, although the parameters around those, those funds have changed. Um, we've run special events. We have um, one wonderful third-party event put on for us by the TMX um, stock group, uh, do a golf tournament, and we're one of two charities that are uh, recipients of the funds from that golf tournament. If more third-party events could happen on behalf of Caribou Calls, it would be wonderful. Um, we did run the clothing bin program, but when all the issues started to happen with that and the bins were shut down, at one point that was a significant stream of income for our organization. But we're going to try. Um, you know, we're not giving up. We've got our Lighted Up Green campaign uh, through the Canada helps.org website and then you just search cerebral palsy and it takes you right there there's an option to donate ten dollars fifty dollars a hundred dollars there's 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 no amount that isn't helpful in our organization um you know reaching out to those with cp to help fund is very difficult these are the, some of the most vulnerable people in our province so there's many others out there who can help. We just need to get that message out. We'd love to develop some corporate partnerships, something that fits with the company's mission as to why they would support an organization worth supporting people with CP. So that's on our agenda as we move forward. Uh, now, what about volunteers? Well, we have a volunteer board of directors. Uh, we just had our AGM. We have eight, eight volunteers. We have a volunteer advisory committee, which um, predominantly you know, represents the medical community. We have volunteers who come and help us do some of the work in the office. We, if we were to put on a special event, we have volunteers who would come and help us do that. Um, and many of those volunteers have CP themselves. So we try to provide opportunities for our own community um, to get involved. And also with some of our programs like Dance Without Limits, um, Adapted Yoga, um, often students come to help the participants yeah. with the yeah. accessibility throughout those. And when, you know, a lot of times with corporate partnerships, um, that might not be able to be written, but um, professional expertise in a particular area might be able to be given, you know, assistance in writing a strategic plan or a communications plan or lending out of a communications staff. Like, there's all sorts of um, opportunities to provide support that aren't necessarily financial support. But if we were to do those things ourselves, they're at an expense. Okay, well, maybe one more time before we let you go, uh, can you give us a website uh, where people can go to, to sort of find the most information? www.bccerebralpalsy.com all one word perfect okay guys listen can't thank you enough for taking some time out of your day and joining us and and talking about this um best of luck with the with the campaign um thank you i just would like to give you an email address as well i gave sure. you the um the website but if um, people have any questions or need information particularly if they have cp info at bccerebralpalsy.com we really appreciate this this is terrific thank you very much okay have a great day thank you, you as well bye-bye wow well that's interesting you know it, it I do feel like CP is one of those, um, it's not really in the psyche of a, a lot of people in terms of 
um, you know, the, the first thing that they think of when they think of disability. I think a lot of people, you know, certainly the CNIB and the blindness organizations have done really good work in sort of bringing their plight into, into the forefront. But, um, you know, I feel like CP, it, it, it really hasn't. Well, I think part of the problem is it, is it you know, the, the effects of CP on any given person are, are pretty variable. So you, you yeah. can have people who, you know, like she was saying, could be, you know, walking with a bit of a, a limp and slurring their words. Um, and it could go all the way to somebody who's, you know, in a, in a power chair, nonverbal, yeah. um, you know, needing, needing fairly constant care. There, there's, there's, there's a big spectrum in there. And, and, uh, I don't think people, um, have really been educated about, you know, CP, its effects and, and the variability of it. So, you know, there's, there's ways to go. There's a lot of education that needs to happen. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a tough, tough hill for them to climb. Well, absolutely. And, you know, it sounds like funding is really dire. I mean, they, they, they really need um, the funding because, you know, you look at the numbers and, you know, $1.5 million needed to, to raise a, a child with, with CP. I, I mean. Yeah. And it is, I mean, I, I was really surprised to hear that there was no provincial funding because a lot of other organizations, you know, the Deaf Blind Association, they, they get regular funding. Uh, you know, Vision Vision Services gets gets regular funding now, although I don't think they always did. But um, you know, it, there's there's an unaddressed need there that government really needs to to take a look at, and I, hopefully they will. You know, again, it's just, it's it's an important it's an important agency, and you know, we encourage anybody to uh, go to the website and do whatever you can to help out. Hey, Ryan. Rob. Uh, where can people find us? They can find us online at www.atbanter.com. Uh, they can also drop us an email, uh, if they so desire. Uh, the, um, <coughs> cowbell. Ding. <laughs> <laughs> at, oh, shit, I lost it now. <laughs> I, yeah, I should have sat over, I, I should have sat over in that corner at, today and hit the cowbell. <laughs> <laughs> Try that again. Cowbell at atbanter.com. Where else can they find us? Oh, well, let me tell you, they can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, and believe it or not, LinkedIn. Hey, that's what I hear. (laughs) Brilliant. So that is going to about do it for us this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening in, and uh, we'll see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778 778- 847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com Whoa, look at that. Master of the one take.